I want to welcome you today to the Bethel Podcast. This is Pastor Tim Gibbs speaking, and today is Wednesday, March the 11th, 2020, and trust that whatever time this podcast finds you, you're in the middle of a great day, and appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast today. I actually recorded this a few days before, uh, today, March the 11th, and uh, where I am right now is not on this podcast, but I'm actually in Amman, Jordan. Sunday night, March the 8th, just a couple days ago, I took a flight with my son Caden. My mother also came with me, and uh, we made a flight to from Toronto to Istanbul, Turkey, and then made a connection there to Amman, Jordan. And it's beginning a three-week, a little bit more than three weeks, uh, missions trip where I'm going to be in Amman, Jordan, Nairobi, Kenya, Kisumu, Kenya, and a country called the Seychelles. And keeping quite a schedule while I'm over there of ministry, uh, I was invited a few months back this fall by a pastor by the name of Hannah Massad. And uh, he is a pastor of a church in Amman, Jordan, and also a pastor of a church in the Gaza Strip. And uh, he lives part-time in America, but pastors these two churches. Obviously, he's got people to help him. And I got connected with him through Ed Dixon. So Ed has been both to Oman and in the Gaza Strip to minister in Pastor Hannah's churches. And uh, through that connection, Ed was talking to uh, Pastor Hannah about me, and Pastor Hannah invited me so warmly and kindly to come to Oman, Jordan, and his church in Amman is made up primarily of Iraqi Christian refugees. Many of you remember a couple years ago in the news, ISIS, uh, that terrible terrorist organization, was uh, in Iraq and different parts of the world and uh, driving people out, destroying many cities. And so Christians were fleeing from Iraq and coming into Jordan, I think other places as well, and found refuge there. And so these are refugees from Iraq, Christian people, and uh, in Amman, Jordan, and uh, Pastor Hannah is pastoring them. And so they have a gathering, and I have the opportunity to preach to them. I understand the church is about four or 500 people, and I'm really excited about this opportunity. I'm going to be with Pastor Hannah for a few days in Amman, Jordan, uh, not just preaching, but visiting um, with these refugees in their homes and um, just hearing their stories and dialoguing and finding out more about the gospel and what's happening in Jordan and in the Gaza Strip. And precious people, Jesus loves all the people of the world. Amen. And the opportunity to come and to minister and to learn is a tremendous opportunity. And I'm so glad that my son is going to be able to be a part of this as well. And then we're flying from Amman through Istanbul, Turkey, down to Nairobi, Kenya. And when I get to Nairobi, I just got an invitation a couple weeks ago from the Anglican Church of Nairobi to speak at their theological training center. It's a college right in Nairobi. And uh, I'm going to be speaking to a graduating class. They tell me about 100 students. Um, Anglican students, and they've asked me to come and preach to them and minister. So what a great opportunity that is. And uh, I've preached at Anglican churches before in Africa, and uh, I've said that they're more Pentecostal than some of our Pentecostal churches here in Canada. The only difference would be the clerical caller. 
and uh, the priestly robe or, or that the minister may wear. But other than that, uh, it's pretty Pentecostal, but um, what a great opportunity. So we're in Nairobi for a few days, and I'll be preaching at this Anglican college. And then we're off to Kisumu, Kenya. So it's about an hour flight uh, east of, um, oh, sorry, west of Nairobi, west of Nairobi. And there I'll be really busy that week. Um, there's a school on the grounds uh, in, in Kisumu that uh, has over a thousand teenage boys. It's a boys' school. And they all go to church on a Sunday. And I'm going to be preaching to over a thousand teenage boys at the Sunday service. And then the next day, I'm meeting with the General Executive of the Kenya Assemblies of God to dialogue and to share in the Word with them. And then I'll be at the Pentecostal Bible College there with Principal Bowers and doing a few nights of spiritual emphasis days for them. Really, it's a whole week of activities. I'll be doing some spiritual emphasis days, and then it, it culminates with the graduation. So I've been honored to be the graduation speaker. It's a full cap and gown event. And I'll be speaking to grad, and the night before they have a big gala, and I'm speaking there as well. And uh, I said, well, the gala, just, you know, what, 10-minute little speech, uh, inspirational speech on graduating. They said, no, we want you to preach. <laughs> so anyway, I'll be preaching at these spiritual emphasis days, preaching at the gala, preaching at the graduation. And we're supposed to be doing an evening crusade one of those nights in Kasuma, right in the city center. Uh, just an open door, out, outdoor meeting, so you can help and pray for that. And uh, then after a full week, and um, I'll be also ministering with local pastors, connecting. Um, we'll be flying back to Nairobi, and then we catch a flight 10 at night on March 28th, the Saturday night, 10 at night. We fly a three and a half hour flight from Nairobi right in towards going over the Indian Ocean to these small tropical islands, and it's a country called the Seychelles. We're going to arrive at 2 in the morning. We'll get to our hotel about 3 a.m., and then that Sunday morning at 10 a.m., I'm preaching at a church, and that afternoon my mother's doing a women's conference. Wow. And then the next day on Monday, I'm doing a minister's conference uh, for pastors of the Seychelles, so this is a whole new opportunity. It's the Seychelles Assembly of God, and um, was invited there, and uh, looking forward to that. So then, after a few days there, we'll be making our way back home, and um, so both over three and a half, three weeks of ministry. So for those of you listening, you have a love for your pastor and or friends of Bethel Church. Uh, if you can remember us in your prayers, I really appreciate it. We're gonna have uh, we'll be on eleven flights in total. And so obviously with the coronavirus going around, thankfully the places we're going to are not hot spots at all, but obviously there's a heightened concern. I'm not really concerned about contracting it, but I just, um, you know, just delays and, and whatever. So just traveling mercies and um, favor, God's anointing as we minister, and uh, we just appreciate your prayers so very, very much. So for today's podcast, um, you know, I want to be interviewing people and getting uh, testimonies, but I thought because I'm on this missions trip, I'd take a little time today and uh, just share a little bit of some of my missions highlights. Uh, as all of you know, I have a real heart for missionary work, 
I've been so blessed to travel to many countries of the world and to preach the gospel. I think the count is upwards to 18, 19 countries where I've gone, not just visiting, but actual preaching the gospel. I got turned on in missions when I was young. When I graduated high school, I was just turning 17. My parents were living in the province of Quebec. And in Quebec, high school ends at grade 11. You can go into something like a community college called CJEP. I opted not to do that. But instead, at 17, I left home and went and did a master's commission program. It's a church discipleship program in a church in Prescott, Arizona. My uncle, my mother's brother, uh, was the lead pastor of the church in Prescott. And so I joined with him, stayed with a family in the church, and uh, was there for a whole year and just serving, like kind of like a youth pastor interim. Uh, there was a youth pastor, but just helping, serving. Uh, the year before, they had six students as part of their master's commission. The year I went, I was the only one. And uh, so I was just there helping the church and just getting hands-on experience, doing some Bible school courses during the day. Anyway, because the church is in Arizona and uh, just a few-hour drive down to the border, uh, six times that year we went over across the border into Mexico and actually helped plant a church in uh uh, a border community with the states in Mexico. And then the end of that time, we uh, went on a trip with the Assemblies of God. It was with a youth trip. Three youth pastors and a couple youth groups went together, and we went to Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil for about a month. And uh, that was in 19, the summer of 1988. And that experience really ignited a passion in me for missions and... Um, so ever since then, I've just had a heart to, to do missionary work, and I love it so very much. So today, I want to talk to you about some of my most memorable, uh, just amazing mission experiences. And I hope this is going to be a great blessing to you as you hear this, because uh, it's just some amazing... <laughs> I've got a lot of them, but I'm going to give you about two or three here today. Uh, just amazing mission experiences. And so um, the first one... I want to get into was really in that first trip. I guess maybe you could say it was my seventh trip because in that year in Arizona when I was in a discipleship program, I think it was about six times we went down to Mexico. For some reason, the number six is just in my mind. But certainly four or five or six times, maybe even seven times, but I think it was six times we went down to Mexico. And uh, But um, actually getting on an airplane and going somewhere. My first trip was in 1988. I was 18 years of age. And we went with the AIM program, which is called Ambassadors and Missions. It's the youth outreach of the Assemblies of God in the States. And we went from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. For some reason, we flew to Miami. And then we flew down to Ascension, Paraguay, and for the next month, we were in primarily Paraguay, uh, Argentina, and then there was just like a day trip to a church in Brazil. And I tell you, I love that experience. Um, now, one of the things, one of the places we went to for a whole week, so in our month ministry, it was at least a full week, we were in uh, first Ascension Paraguay, and then for a solid week, we went to this rural community called Kazapa Paraguay. That was the name of the community, Kazapa. And uh, I looked it up, I googled it, Kazapa today has a population of 24,000, 
but this is way back in 1988. I was just 18 years of age and hadn't even yet been to Bible school. Uh, so I just remember as a small farming community, there was one church, a Catholic church. Now I remember we were on a bus. We had rented this bus. It was kind of a fancy bus. It actually had televisions on it. And we were watching this movie called The Mission. And in the movie, it talked about how the natives of, of Paraguay, when the Catholic Church had come and the Jesuit priests had come to convert the native people to, of Paraguay to Catholicism, this is back some hundreds of years before, um, there's a famous scene of Jesuit priests being tied to cross, crosses going over the Iguazu Falls, and they are martyred. And uh, But now today, of course, there's a strong Catholic presence in Paraguay, right in South America, but Paraguay. And here we were, these young students going into Paraguay, into a farming community that all they had was a Catholic church to start a Protestant, evangelical, charismatic church. And, uh, and we're riding on this bus with uh, beverages and movies to watch. I thought that was quite interesting. But anyway, we get to this place called Kazapa, this farming community, and the Assemblies of God of Paraguay was planning this summer blitz. So they had, I think in a few locations, but Kazapa being one, they targeted this community to start a church, and they set up this, this big tent, like a circus tent, Kind of right in the heart of, of the uh, downtown, there was um, uh, just an open square, then there was a field nearby, so we had this tent, and set up about chairs. In my mind, I remember at least a couple hundred chairs, a stage, and the idea was all summer they'd just bring in teams to do ministry, evangelize, and out of that to plant a church, and that's indeed what happened. So we were right in the middle of this, and we came in, and uh, the youth pastors that I traveled with, great guys, fantastic youth pastors, but none of them had a real burning passion for preaching. And so here I am, just turning 18 years old. I wasn't even quite 18, just that month actually, I think I had my birthday there, turned 18 years old. I was called upon to preach. Me and another guy were the preachers for this week. What was crazy about this experience was the Catholic priest in town, there's this one Catholic church, he was warning the people, don't go down to that tent. It's a false religion. It's a cult. They're into drugs. And one of the things he said is they deny the virgin birth of Christ. They deny the Virgin Mary. Don't go down there. And so um, the people were warned. But Nothing comes to Paraguay. I don't think there was a movie theater or anything. So we were the, I was going to say the best show in town. We were the only show in town. And uh, so we went in there and uh, um, we went in there and uh, have the stage. And we have drama and music. And um, I get up to preach. And the only people sitting in the tent was the team that I came with. And all the other chairs were empty the first time I got up to preach. But outside of the tent were a few hundred people standing outside, watching, looking in. So they were too nervous because of the warning of the Catholic priest to come into the tent. But 
curiosity was so powerful that they still wanted to see what was going on. So it's quite a strange experience to be preaching in this tent that was basically empty. And of course, we had it at night with lights. And so I could barely see just faces, but there were several hundred outside watching. Well, as the week went on and then during the day, we did drama and, and went door to door and talked with people, with translators. Uh, people began coming in. People were getting saved. I remember a man being healed, a crippled man being healed. Uh, he, he walked with crutches but had difficulty walking, and the power of God came on him, and he started to run around that tent, and the power of God just touched. It was powerful. Uh, people were getting saved. People were getting healed and all that. So that was just a tremendous experience, preaching in Kazapa, Paraguay. I am just turned 18 years of age. And sure enough, a church was planted there. And so then we went on to other ministry in Argentina and again a day in Brazil. When I'm on the plane flying back to America and that fall going to go into Bible school, I remember being on that plane. I, I kind of prayed and I said to the Lord, Lord, wow, thank you so much. I love that this was an awesome opportunity. And I just so enjoyed being on the mission field. And I said this prayer, Lord, I just made this commitment, Lord, I'm coming back here. In one year, I'll be back in Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay. I'm coming back. I'll be back in a year. Well, life has a way of having its twists and turns, and I didn't make it back in a year. In fact, it wasn't till 20 years later, wow, that I'm on a plane flying down to Argentina going back to South America for the first time. So now we jump from 1988 uh, to 2008. And in 2008, I had an invitation to go down to Argentina to be with our missionary, Ray Bradbury, and then also go over to Brazil to be with uh, missionaries we support, YWAM missionaries, Maddie and Julie Galley. So here I am now going down to first Argentina. So here it is 20 years later, all the memories of my experiences from 20 years ago are coming back to me. So excited to be back in South America. I land at the airport. Ray Bradbury picks me up. And uh, we get to the hotel and stuff. And, okay, the next day, Pastor Tim, the next day as he gets me, today we're going to the a Bible College in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And you are going to be the speaker for the final chapel service for the graduating class. Wow, what a blessing to be able to have that opportunity to preach the graduating class. The uh, Bible College, by the way, in Buenos Aires was actually built by the Nazis way back in the day for a training center. And then, of course, when all that, praise God, got dismantled, the, the, the building remained. And today it's Assemblies of God Bible School. It's called Instituto Biblico Rio de la Plata, which means the uh, Silver River Bible Institute of the Assemblies of God. A great couple, Rocky and Sherry Grams, are the leaders, the presidents of that school. And uh, if you're ever interested in the revival that's taken place in Argentina, Rocky wrote a great book called In Awe of in Argentina. In Awe in Argentina by Rocky Grams. And he's the president of the school there. So here I have this opportunity. So Ray Bradbury takes me to the Bible school in Buenos Aires. I remember we're driving. And uh, two things I remember driving there. One, I kind of fell asleep because I was so tired from my travels. And, uh, but also that when we approach a traffic light, we would just try to go really slow if the light was red, not to stop because afraid somebody could 
carjack us or something, or even just go right through the red light because of some dangerous neighborhoods. But anyway, we got to the Bible school, and uh, here I am in this chapel. Man, they're singing. They're doing uh, uh, the song, Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble? Some of you remember that song. And um, I think it was the band called Delirious, I think, yeah. Anyway, they, uh, they uh, were doing great worship, and then I get up to preach, and I preach a message about uh, the anointing, moving from Elijah to Elisha, and a hunger, younger generation hungering for the move of God, had an altar call, great response, praying over young people. This is my first ministry experience 20 years later after being in that area. After I'm done preaching, with, with, and, preaching and praying for people, a young girl comes up to me. She's the first one that I begin to have a conversation with. And she's got tears in her eyes. And she's, oh, Pastor Tim, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your ministry. Thank you for your message. It really touched my heart. I'm graduating and I'm going into ministry. And I just really appreciated the, the word and that you had to share. And I'm, so I'm just talking with her. And I said to her, where are you from? And she says, I'm from Paraguay. I says, oh, you know what? I said, I was in Paraguay like 20 years ago. Where where in Paraguay are you from? And she was kind of a little bit shy and she just said, Oh, you'll 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 never know the place. Uh, she says, This is this little place called Kazapa Paraguay. And I went, What? Wow. <laughs> I was no way. I was in Kazapa Paraguay 20 years ago. I was there, I was there before the church, and as I got talking to her, she was just, I don't know if she was just being born then, or just a baby then, or or whatever, because she was just around 20 years of age, and uh, her parents were saved, I'm not saying they're saved in my meetings, but saved at that time, in, those, in that summer blitz, and when that church got started, they got saved, they became part of that church, that girl grew up in that church, felt the call of God, went to Bible school in Buenos Aires, Argentina from Casapa, Paraguay. And here I come 20 years later and the very first service I have and the very first person I have a conversation with after preaching is this girl from Casapa, Paraguay, where 20 years before I helped in a small way to plant that church. Wow. When I left that service, I felt like God had smiled at me, that God had winked at me or something. I just felt like, how is that even possible that, you know, I was part of a church plant 20 years before, and I come back 20 years later, and the first person I encounter is this girl from Casapa, Paraguay, the very church we had helped to plant. Isn't that an amazing story? Wow. <laughs> and it's a true story. And uh, just an amazing, amazing time. Let me just give you another uh, story. One of my other amazing missions experiences. This is, today's podcast is just talking about some of my amazing mission experiences. And this first one was meeting this girl from Casapa, Paraguay, 20 years later. Uh, the next one is, uh, is this. In the fall of 2015, I was invited to speak at a conference uh, in Kiev, Ukraine. 
There's a great pastor named Pastor Vladimir Montaigne who had a ch- has a church called Regeneration Church, and he invited me to do a week of meetings with pastors, and then also to speak at his Sunday service. And uh, his Sunday service, he was renting the largest hockey arena in the country of Ukraine. There's only one venue that's bigger, and that's their soccer stadium, which is right next door to it. I think it's like 60,000 people or something. But the hockey arena uh, seats about 10,000 people. I think with concerts, you can get like 12,000. And he was filling it for his Sunday services. And he invited me to come and be the preacher. And even since then, I've preached for him a number of times, uh, even at his major conferences in that same hockey arena. It's called the Sports Palace in Kiev, Ukraine. But in 2015, this was my first time to preach at the Sports Palace, this hockey arena, 10 to 12,000 people in attendance. And not only that, they stream their services and they put it out on television uh, through satellites. And so literally, I mean, the capacity for viewing would be in the millions, but, you know, thousands of people are, are watching this. So here I am invited. This is by far the biggest crowd I have ever preached to. It's the fall of 2015, the month of October. In fact, the Sunday was October 25th, 2015. And uh, so I'm getting ready for this. And what an amazing opportunity. I think the biggest crowd to that point I'd ever preached to was about 3,000 people. But now I'm speaking in person, 10 to 12,000, and then thousands more via internet and satellite television. So as I'm preparing for this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what's some of my best sermons I've ever preached? You know, what's my top five sermons? And I'm just trying to get the mind of the Lord and just trying to get discern what would be the right message for that and and you know, trying to think of some of my best messages, what I think are my best messages. Anyway, as it's getting closer, in fact, I brought some sermons with me. I'm already now in Kiev and I'm just in the, the apartment I'm a couple days before um, before we're to uh, preach, I made the decision. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to try to impress them that I'm some great orator or some great speaker. Uh, I'm just going to tell my family history. And uh, now, the reason for that is my family history on my mom's side is Ukrainian. My mother, Margaret Gibbs, some of you know her. She was born in Canada, but both of her parents were born in Ukraine, and Christianity on my mom's side began in Ukraine with our my great-grandfather, my mother's grandfather. His name was Karp Hersayak. So whenever I go to Ukraine, especially when I'm going somewhere for the first time, I always say this. I say that, you know, I'm a fourth-generation Pentecostal or charismatic preacher, And my great-grandfather was born in this nation. He became an orphan, and I'll tell you about that. And then he he was saved, was filled with the Spirit, and felt the call of God, and then came to Canada. And here I am, four generations later, preaching the same gospel of Jesus Christ that touched our family in Ukraine. And, of course, it warms people's hearts to me, just having that connection, that Ukrainian connection. So I thought, you know what, instead of preaching one of my like top five messages, whatever those are, I'm just going to tell the story because it's quite a story. So let me just tell you a little bit about the story on my grandfather's side. 
My great-grandfather, Karper Saik, was born in the nation of Ukraine in 1902. His father, Jacob, died when Karp was eight years old. And then his mother, Anna, also died of what they call the Black Death Plague uh, when Karp was 12 years of age. So at 12, he was left as an orphan. Uh, he had an older brother, but he went missing. And to this day, no one knows what happened to him. They feel that he was murdered, but they don't know. And he had a younger sister. So at 12, him and his younger sister were taken in by villagers. And this was in the Koristan. There's a city of Koristan, which is north of Kiev, the Koristan region. And so at age 12, he's an orphan. And he's just brought in by villagers, living with some family, and learning some trades. But at the age of 19, 1921 now, um, he met a girl named Anna, Anna Martinchuk, and uh, he married her. Now, they began to live with his parents-in-law, Anna's parents, which is very common in Ukraine, still is quite common today, that you'll have a few family units living together, uh, parents, uh, you know, kids with their parents, and then they have their children and so you'll have three generations living in an apartment or something. So that's still common today. It was very common then. But my grandfather, Karp, and his wife, uh, they got married. They're living with his parents-in-law. His parents-in-law were communist, atheist. And, uh, but at the same year, he was invited by a friend to a Baptist church. And it's there in that service that Karp, my great-grandfather, heard the gospel message of Jesus, asked Christ into his life, and became a Christian. A year later, in 1922, now I'll just say this, Karp's father-in-law was not very happy about this. In fact, one of the ways they were doing making money, they had like a moonshine business, underground moonshine business, making alcohol and selling it, bootlegging it. And uh, so it was a little bit of a controversy. And uh, anyway, one day, I guess there was a bit of an accident explosion. And uh, I think Karp's father got, father-in-law got badly burned. And so they, they had a little bit of time off. Anyway, 1922, Karp heard about this spirit-filled group, not really knowing what it's all about. And uh, spirit-filled group. And he goes to a service and uh, really like a house meeting, but of spirit-filled believers and they're getting into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is actually blows my mind because the release of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which has always been a part of the church and church history, but it had a just a surge, a renewal in a powerful way. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it wasn't really part of the church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. But in, in 1906, in Los Angeles, is a place called Azusa Street. There was a tremendous revival that has, has touched the whole world and brought back to the church in a real way the power of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, being filled with the Spirit, and all the major Pentecostal charismatic movements today all trace their roots, including our Pentecostal assemblies, trace their roots to Azusa Street. So that's 1906. Here it's now 1922. You know, this is before satellite television and internet and all that. Behind the communist curtain the Red Army Communist Curtain, you've got the Spirit-Filled Movement has come into the um, uh, former Soviet Union. So my great-grandfather Karp 
ends up going to this house meeting with these gathering of spirit-filled believers, and two amazing things happen that night. This is all in our family history. This is well known. One is in the service, and my great-grandfather is quite moved by the service. There was singing. There was just a real sense of the presence of God. But a young girl, I think like a preteen is what's been told to me, she comes up to him and begins to prophesy to him. Think of this, a young girl, not a pastor, not an evangelist, a young preteen girl begins to prophesy and says, the Spirit of God is coming upon you this night, and he's going to anoint you, and he's going to take you to a place you've never been to before, another country. You're going to speak a language you've never spoken before, and God's going to use you to build and plant many churches. Wow, what a strange word. Not just a strange word, but to have a girl speak to a, a man like this, even though my grandfather, great-grandfather was a young man, it's still very culturally unusual. Anyway, they're very moved by this, and him and his buddy, after leaving that meeting, it's winter time. they're walking home, and uh, they got talking, and they said, you know, just how much they felt the presence of God and felt that something was real about this. And they both said to themselves, well, if this baptism of the Holy Spirit is real, what would prevent God from baptizing us now? And so Carp and his friend knelt down on a city street in the snow, lifted their hands to God, not in a church house, not even their own house, on a street corner, lifted their hands to God in the snow, and said, Father, God, if this baptism of the Holy Spirit is real, fill us now. And their testimony was like fire came out of heaven and hit both of them, and they began to speak in tongues, be filled with the Spirit, touched by the power of God, so much so that it said that my great-grandfather was so under the anointing that for three days he could not speak Ukrainian, his native tongue, or Russian. All he could do was speak in tongues. So he made his way home, but he comes in the door, and when they're asking about him, he's just speaking in tongues. He's in a spirit drunken stupor, so to speak. Wow. <laughs> This infuriated his father-in-law. He said, my son-in-law has gone insane. This is, this is, he's speaking about my, my great-grandfather. And all he's doing is speaking in tongues. Wow. Anyway, in uh, 1923, so I hope I have the, 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 I got the years right, but the ages. 1923, Carp's 21 years of age. So at, 20, at 19, he uh, married and, and was saved. At uh, 20, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. At 21, he's drafted into the Polish army. And uh, so in Ukraine and uh, Poland, like the, the border was very unclear, and I can't even know all about this, but there was a draft. And uh, he was connected with these spirit-filled group, but they're actually Mennonites. So this is all true. It sounds a little crazy, but it's absolutely true. In that upper region of Ukraine, there was German Mennonites that lived, and many of them were Christian, spirit-filled. The thing about Mennonites is they're pacifists. They won't engage or take up arms. So because Carp was drafted among others, and they refused to take up arms, they were put in a Ukrainian prison. My grandfather went to prison for three years because of this Mennonite, I'll say Christian, but Mennonite, Christian, 
position of not taking up arms. And so, but what's told, it, while he was in prison, a couple things happened. That's crazy. One, there was these Bible Mennonite teachers, spirit-filled Mennonite teachers, that taught him, basically gave him a Bible school education, a three-year Bible school college program in those three years in prison. Like they just had Bible studies and studied the Word of God. And he was taught by these spirit-filled Bible, German Mennonite Bible teachers. The other thing that happened while he was in prison is it was pretty tough, is what was told, and guards were pretty um, tough on the prisoners, uh, a lot of persecution, a lot of mockery, uh, harsh treatment. There was one prison guard in particular named Paul Luciano, who was a prison guard who was very uh, harassing of these Christians in prison. I mean, you think about it. You're a prison guard and you're looking after guys that are strong and healthy, but just refuse to go to war. And they're doing this in the name of Christ. It wasn't appealing. And so there's a story that one day, this Paul Luciano took a few of these guys, these Christian Mennonites, pacifists, took them into the prison yard, showed them his gun, blindfolded them, got them on their knees, and then he'd put the gun to each of their heads and say, you deny Jesus Christ, deny this faith, or I'm going to kill you. And um, uh, I, I don't think anyone recanted, but anyway, then he would lift his gun in the air and shoot the gun. But you don't know, uh, you're blindfolded if your buddy just got shot in the head or what. And so this happened to my great-grandfather. He had a gun put, he was blindfolded, put gun put right to his head, threatened, deny Christ, or I'll kill you. My great-grandfather would not recant. He would not deny his faith. And um, obviously he wasn't executed. So this happened, this prison guard, Paul Luciano. So after three years of this, Carp gets out of prison. When he gets out of prison, he encounters a friend who says to him, hey, there's opportunities in Canada uh, why don't you go to Canada and make a new life? And my grandfather says, I don't have the money for that. And the man said, I will give you the money. When you make it in Canada, you can pay me back, but I will send you. So Carp took this advantage. He came over to Canada, first to Montreal, then to Toronto. He actually started a church in Toronto. At first he came by himself and then later sent for his wife. And at that time then they had two children. And uh, one of them, which was my grandmother, who, in a time when my grandfather was in, great-grandfather was in Canada, she, as a little, not quite two-year-old little girl, got very sick with diphtheria. Many children were dying of diphtheria. But uh, Anna, Carp's wife, who had become a believer, prayed. The father-in-law, the atheist father-in-law, who was so hard about his son, and, and then his son leaving for Canada was another thing. He thought, I'll never see this son-in-law again. Uh, he, he actually went to town to buy the wood for the coffin for his granddaughter, my grandmother. And uh, Anna went to prayer and God miraculously healed her. And her healing miracle was so convincing that this father-in-law actually then bowed his knee to Christ and got saved. This all was happening while Carp was now in Canada. So he sends for them. They come to Toronto. My grandmother remembers the house they lived in. There still is uh, a church building in Toronto on Queen Street. It was a church for many years. It then became a, a restaurant bar. And I think it's sitting empty right now, but it's, it's, it's there on Queen Street. She remembers, has some memories of it. She went back later as a teenager as well. 
But anyway, and then he eventually went out to Western Canada, and there he started 25 churches over a period of years. So uh, it was in 1927 that Carp came to Canada. And while he was in Canada, just to kind of close this story here and a couple couple things, while he was in Canada, uh, he came in 1927, um, he went into this house meeting, church service, and he, he's there to preach, and when he looks in the crowd, who is sitting in the crowd but this former prison guard, Polish army prison guard, named Paul Lucchiano. He is sitting in the congregation. And can you imagine just for a moment what that does into your mind, your emotions? Uh, I mean, one, there'd be just maybe excitement, but two, I mean, this guy was abusive, was harassing, I'd put a gun to your head. So there is a moment of forgiveness that's needed. Anyway, the result of it all was they recognized each other. They saw each other. Paul Lucchiano in that meeting gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Wow, wow, wow. And Paul Lucchiano became a great supporter of my grandfather's ministry for many years. And so this is quite a family history, and I'm just giving you the highlights. Anyway, I, I wrote an article about all this in our Bethel Connect Bulletin back in, I think, 2013, 2014. And um, so here I am. Now, let's go back. It's 2015. I'm in Kiev. I've been invited by a pastor to preach at his church at the Sports Palace in downtown Kiev. 10 to 12,000 people in attendance, thousands more watching online or through satellite television, my biggest crowd. I'm thinking of what's one of my best sermons. I decide a couple days before, I'm not going to get into some fancy sermon. I'm just going to tell the story, what I've just told you, and even some more pieces of it. I'm just going to tell you, tell them the story. And so I kind of made that determination. Now here's the, here's the more amazing part. The night before I'm to preach... I get an email out of the blue from a man I've never met. His name is Wade Luciano. And Wade Luciano, I never had met him, but he, I get this email from him. And uh, he, he writes to me and basically says, I, I've never met you, but uh, he said, I'm visiting. I've actually got the email in front of me here. I got the night before. He said, I'm visiting my family in St. Thomas last weekend for Thanksgiving when I heard... You had written an article a few years ago, so 2015, that must have been 2013, 2012, that touched on the overlapping history of our families. My grandfather is Paul Luciano, or was Paul Luciano, a former Polish army guard who oversaw and harassed your great-grandfather, Karpersayek, in Ukraine. When I heard that an article had been written about my grandfather's salvation testimony, I googled the Hersaic name and read your article. If you haven't heard from anyone else in the Luciano family, I thought it might be nice to close the loop. My great-grandfather, Paul Luciano, immigrated to Alberta from Ukraine in 1930, a few years after your great-grandfather. That's true. My great-grandfather came in 1927. As you mentioned, he came to know the Lord after hearing Carp preach in a small town in Alberta. He even participated in the funding 
or founding and building of a nearby Pentecostal church. And uh, then he sends me a biography about his father. And so he says, this is the conversion to Pentecost. Paul and Katie were Orthodox Christians. Paul was not quite convinced with their church. He had many unanswered questions. While in the army, he encountered a man who would not take up arms. He called himself a born-again Christian. All the men in the army made fun of him, including Paul. But this man stood by his belief. It was shortly after they had moved to their own home that the Carrie Chucks, and this is my mother's maiden name is Carrie Chuck, the Carrie Chucks invited Paul and Katie to a meeting to be held at their house by some evangelist. When Paul arrived at the house, to his astonishment, it was the man from the Polish army. Kar Persayek was a minister with the Pentecostal Assemblies. The result of prayer, witnessing in God's timing, Paul gave his heart to the Lord, and later Katie followed. They both became evangelical Christians, joined the Pentecostal Assembly Church, and there was a revival in that community where many were saved and baptized in the faith. Wow. So here Wade Luciano writes me an email. He had no idea I was in Kiev, no idea that the next day I'm going to preach to the largest gathering I've ever preached to, no idea that I'm about to tell the testimony of my great father that included his grandfather's uh, conversion testimony. He writes me the day before and sends me a beautiful photo that included a, in the picture is his great his grandfather, Paul Lucchiano, and my great-grandfather, Carper Sayek, and I took that picture that night when I received this, the night before, and I sent it over to the media department of the church. And when I stood up the next day to 12,000 people, thousands more through television, uh, up on the jumbo screen, when I talked about Paul Lucchiano, comes this picture of Paul Lucchiano and Carper Sayek. Wowie, wow, wow, wow. Even as I'm telling this, this is like, sometimes I tell people, either I'm in the twilight zone or this is God. It can only be one of two things, and of course it's the Lord. But how incredible that, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready and I just decide I'm not going to do a sermon. I'm going to just tell the story. And then the night before, without any knowledge whatsoever that I'm even in the country or going to be preaching, and here it is. I get this email confirming the whole story, which I didn't need confirmation. I already knew it was true. But confirmation of Lucian's story in this picture. And then Wade finishes his email that says, Thanks to Carp's work for the Lord, now five generation of Luciano believers. Wow. Um, you know, you've, God's used his ministry to touch five generations of Luciano believers. And then all the best, Wade Luciano. Isn't that an amazing story? Wow, 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 wow. How God moves. So here I have this one story of as, a, as an 18-year-old ministering in Kazapa, Paraguay, and being on the plane coming back, saying, in one year I'll be back. I didn't get back 20 years. And the first person I encounter in Buenos Aires, Argentina, in Bible school is the girl whose parents got saved and grew up in the church I planted in a small rural village community in Kazapa, Paraguay. Now... Here I am in Kiev, Ukraine, preaching to the biggest crowd I've ever preached to. And I determined I'm going to tell the family history. And the night before, 
I get an email from a man who has no idea I'm even there and uh, sends me confirming information and a beautiful black and white picture of Paul Lucchiano and Carper Sayek that I didn't have and I was able to put it up on the jumbo screen and went out. Isn't God amazing? Wow, 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 wow. Let me just tell you one more amazing story. I've got a lot of amazing stories in my work on the mission field. This is a different one. But um, I can't remember quite the year. I think it would have been about 2010, 2011. I was back now in Brazil, invited by Maddie and Julie Galley, who have a y, uh, directors of a YOM base in Recife, Brazil. So Julie grew up in Bethel, Sarnia, and actually was saved. Her mother was saved, and her and her brother were saved at Bethel, Sarnia in the 1980s. And then um, they, uh, somewhere in the 90s, they all went into ministry with YWAM. And Julie has been in uh, Recife for, it's got to be 20 years at least, uh, working at the YWAM base with her Samoan husband, Maddie, And they have three grown children now. So she invited me because um, we support her and, and I'm the pastor of the church that she grew up in uh, to come and do a DTS called the Discipleship Training School and to, to teach for a week for students. So I took advantage of this opportunity, went down to see her, see the ministry, see the base. And so for one week, for the mornings, uh, evenings I was doing some other ministry, but in the mornings for three hours I was teaching about 20 to 24 students. All of them would be, well, maybe a couple would be older. Most of them would be in their late teens, probably most in their early 20s. Like we're talking 19-year-old, 20, 21, 22, 23, right in that range. It might have been a couple that were in their early 30s, but mostly just young adults. And from different uh, countries. Uh, a lot of them were from... Brazil, of course. I mean, there's only about 24 of them, 20, 20 to 25 students, but from Brazil, probably close to half were from Brazil. There was a couple students from Chile, uh, one or two students from Paraguay. There was a student from Holland, one from the United Kingdom, one from uh, United States of America. So um, a lot of them spoke English. Either I worked with a translator into Portuguese because in Brazil, they don't speak Spanish, they speak Portuguese. And I did a week teaching on the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. So here we are every morning just walking through from his birth right through to his conversion, growing up years, conversion, and then into his missionary journeys, third, first, th second, third missionary journey, trip to Rome, going through it all. In Acts chapter 19, Paul now is on his third missionary journey and he comes to Ephesus. And he meets with a small group of believers. In fact, the Bible says there's only about 12 of them. And uh, he says to them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there's a Holy Spirit. And then he said, What do we then we were baptized into? And they said, Into John's baptism. And then he said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance. But then he talked about this baptism of the Spirit. And it says that when he laid his hands on them, they were all filled with the Spirit, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was about 12. And then that led to a two-and-a-half-year to three-year revival in Ephesus that touched all of Asia Minor. So just this small group. 
So here I am teaching. I'm getting into Acts 19 about the Holy Spirit. I'm in Recife, Brazil on a YOM base with about 20 to 25 students. Just a small group, but from different countries of the world. And as I'm expounding on Acts 19 about the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden here come some questions. And in pretty soon I begin to realize, number one, there's not a lot of knowledge here about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm beginning to teach about the person of the Holy Spirit, the baptisms of the Holy Spirit, you know, that at salvation we're baptized into Christ, the Holy Spirit immerses in Christ, water baptism, and then this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as I'm teaching about the Holy Spirit, the questions, and I can just see the hunger rising. And all of a sudden I just thought, we're about to have an Acts 19 experience right here. And I said to these students, how many of you want, I maybe may even asked, like you've never received the baptism, and how many here want the baptism of the Spirit? And like every hand, like every one of them just said yes. And I said, you know what? Let's take a minute right now and pray. And I said, why don't you just get out of your desk? Because they have these desks, you know, where the table and the, the desk and the chair are attached together and you slip in one side. And I said, everybody out of their desk and let's push the desk to the side and let's stand and begin to lift. And I remember all these students, 24 students standing and pushing their desk on that cement pad floor and you hear the table squeaking you know as it's growing against the the ground and, and being pushed and as they lifted their hands in the air i've never experienced anything quite like this other than to say it was like a holy spirit bomb went off like instantly instantly boom the glory the anointing the power of god and if there was one that didn't, I don't know who it was, but every one of them is all of a sudden being just touched powerfully by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, tears, shaking, speaking in tongues, the volume of intercessory prayer birthed by the Spirit. It was like a spiritual Holy Spirit bomb went off and all 25 or 24 of these students are being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. My mother was with me again on this trip. We do like to travel together. And she heard the commotion and came running into the room. And I mean, the spiritual temperature in that room was on maximum. Every single one instantly, powerfully, without any reservation were immersed in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's one of my favorite missionary ministry moments. Wow. I remember one more and with this one I'll end. Back to Ukraine, back to Kiev. This is now, I think in 2018, I'm speaking at the uh, major conference right again in the Sports Palace. Got 12,000 people there, thousands more watching online. And I did a teaching on the Feast of Israel, talking about the Feast of Pentecost. And then, of course, I talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I invited that auditorium to stand. And and here we are, 12,000 people. I have no idea. There's no, way of, there's no way of knowing how many were filled for the first time. But an arena of 12,000 people, the anointing, the power of God came and were immersing. And to hear a volume of worship and the speaking in tongues in those 12,000 participants. 
it was amazing. And you know what? It was just as glorious as that small group of 24 in Recife, Brazil, and then 12,000 <laughs> being filled with the Spirit in Kiev, Ukraine. Hallelujah. I think you have an idea as you listen to these stories, why I love missions, why I love to go around and preach the gospel. And you see the evidence of the spirits working and the confirmation that God's called me to this. And so I just wanted to share those stories with you today on today's podcast. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to what ministry moments are awaiting me uh, these few weeks in the month of March as I'm in Jordan and Kenya and the Seychelles. And would you pray? I've just, today is Wednesday, March the 11th. I'm just beginning now three weeks of ministry in these countries. As you're listening to this, just as it's closed, would you just say a prayer for me that God would anoint me? My mother's also doing ministry there, um, different ministries. But, you know, pray for us that the power and the anointing of God would touch and lead and that we would have some amazing ministry moments even as I'm talking to you, more, mem more memories are coming up, but we'll save that for another time. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know what? One of my favorite verses of Scripture is, The steps of a good man are order of the Lord, and God delights in his way. God orders our steps. He leads us. Amen. And he's got something for each and every one of us. So I pray you're encouraged today. These testimonies demonstrate the existence of God and the power of God. And so know that God is working on your behalf today. Believe him and trust him. And we'll look forward to seeing you in our next podcast. God bless you, everybody.